0: Greetings, everyone. I'm Declassified Dave, one-third of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour podcast, and you're listening to Infinite Rabbit Hole. On Thursday, December 9th, 1965, at approximately 4.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a huge fireball streaked a path through the early evening sky from Canada through Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania that left thousands of people questioned, what the hell was that? Only lasting about 5 to 10 minutes total, this fireball traveled from Canada to southwestern Pennsylvania at speeds of over 1,000 miles per hour. Witnesses from the ground claimed to hear a sonic boom as the object broke the sound barrier, and pilots told stories of the aftershock that they felt as it passed by. But what was the strangest thing of all wasn't the speed or the sound and vibrations it radiated, but rather that it apparently turned off of its southeastern heading, breaking dead east before turning to the south and then eventually shifting to the northeast before it completed its journey in southeastern Pennsylvania. That same day, Nevin and Nadine Kalp were playing outside as young siblings often do on a warmer-than-usual December day when they stopped mid-stride and stared at what they described as a falling star landing in the nearby woods. Francis Kalp, Nevin and Nadine's mother, grabbed the children and headed into the tree line, to assist with anybody who might be hurt from what she thought was a plane crash. But before she entered the woods, she noticed a large pillar of black smoke building above the treetops as she thought better of her actions and headed home to call the authorities to help with a potential fire caused by the crash. The fire squad showed up at 6.30, and all the questions about what really happened that day began to surface. Well, here we are, everyone. Welcome to Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, and welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. I'm your host, Jeremy. Today, we're going to dive in to the Kexburg UFO incident. But before we do that, let's go ahead and bring in our host. Jacob, what's going on, man? How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm being forced to grow a mustache against my will. Um,
2: and uh, that's about it. That's all that's going on with me. My well, leave think,
1: ends today.
2: I think it looks good, man. I do. Oh. You're, you're a pretty man.
1: I'm grateful. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. I mean it. I'm <laughs> going to the next beautiful man with even more facial hair
2: than all of us combined. Jeffrey.
3: You're welcome. Yeah, I think, uh, Jake, you look really good with the moustache, bro. I really like it. It's, uh, it suits you. You have the right bone structure for a nice moustache. All
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> you ever had one of those awkward moments where someone's just like hey man i really like your hairstyle and then they stop and they like expect you to say something nice back and you're like thank you and then that's it <laughs> you're like, like well i hate yours no <laughs> i like i like your beard jeff i'm i'm a all or nothing kind of guy and i can't grow a beard so then it's nothing for me right well, I, Very I, easy I don't pick. have any hair i don't i don't grow hair so it's one or the other for me so I mean, I'd lose every single every single hair follicle on my entire body if I could grow a m- gnarly massive beard. That's weird. I would wish that. I'd be smooth like a baby That's, seal.
0: All right, now we're getting <laughs> weird. <They're not> smooth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and to bring in the last host, who provides nothing to this argument and conversation on beards and <laughs> facial hair, Kenzar, how you doing?
4: I'm all right. Been a <laughs> been a rough day but i'm ready to dive into this
0: so i recorded my garage and it's hot it was 98 degrees here in uh Hampton Roads Virginia Dang. and this uh this garage is is an oven and i'm just sweating 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 it's horrible it's uncomfortable but that's okay I Feel
1: you dude it's 65 it's, here it's rough
0: ugh, horrible. uh horrible well Uh, yeah today we're going to talk about kexberg and uh that makes it all worth it because this is this is a good one i I like the kexberg story and uh this is something that even those who don't know too much about ufos and the ufo culture and stories here in the u.s this is this one is easily uh researchable and you can head over to Kecksburg, Pennsylvania and actually talk to people who were there that day. So it wasn't it's not that old. Uh, there's still plenty of people that are willing to tell their story. Um, the fire department has a big old UFO right outside of their their uh, station there. And they also sell uh, goods and everything out of the gift shop for the Kecksburg UFO. Um, so. Anybody who wants a good UFO story, especially one right here in the U.S., this is this is a great place to start. And uh, speaking of starting, does anybody have anything to put out before we start?
2: Nada.
1: Did you say in the intro that it lasted
0: 5 to 10 minutes or seconds? 5 to 10 minutes traveling from southern Canada all the way
2: to Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Bro, that's like an eternity
1: in time. Like, if you're watching something that you think is like a plane crashing or like a meteorite's about to strike Earth or something like that, five to ten minutes, you're like, yeah, it wasn't very long. It's like, dude, that's like like forever.
0: No, Jake, Jake, like the first reports of it started coming in. And then the last reports. So the first reports in Canada and then the last reports in Pennsylvania, southwestern Pennsylvania came yeah. in 10 minutes afterwards so it's it streaked across the sky oh, through okay people in seven different states i'm i'm getting into information that, I don't, that i'll talk yeah. about eventually but this was it, it was going so fast it, it broke the sound barrier so the sound okay. barrier okay. is yeah and <laughs> it's, it, it, like, it, it's just like
1: it's just coasting across the sky and you're <laughs> like yeah, it wasn't very long and people were like oh yeah yeah it's it's there <laughs> it's, it's moving so <laughs>
0: The sound barrier actually breaks at 770 miles per hour, so mm-hmm. this thing uh, was estimated to go- be going well over a thousand. Um, this thing
2: cracked windows, and yeah, you know,
0: sent vibrations through the air and through the ground. Um. Anyways, enough of just freestyling it. Let's get into the actual story. The witnesses piled up that day. Randy Overly, a local boy, described seeing a brownish object on fire as it soared over his head at about 200 feet in the air before it crashed into the woods roughly two miles away from where he was standing. Two brothers, Rob and Randy Lay, claimed to see the object, which they were unfamiliar with, snapped the top off of trees as it entered the woods before it landed. Mabel Meza, the receptionist, at WHJB radio station in Greensburg, took calls from an unknown number of people claiming to see this object tear through the sky. John Murphy, from the same radio station, also took calls, which he thought were pranks until the station received more stern voices on the other end of the line, claiming to be from the US Army, Air Force, and even the Pentagon. At this point, he decided maybe this was in fact the story of the year, and he packed up and headed out to the woods by the Kalp House, in Kecksburg. When Mr. Murphy arrived, the first witnesses he conducted interviews were with were the Kalp siblings and their mother, Frances. The time was 7.20 p.m. when Murphy, Officer Carl Metz of the Pennsylvania Police from Greensburg, and a few others entered the woods. John Murphy was full of questions as to what they were looking for and began recording what he was seeing and taking pictures of the site. But all Officer Metz would tell him, was that he was going to have to ask the military as they took over this investigation, as that is who he was going to hand it over to. So Murphy headed back to the police station in Greensburg to talk to someone of higher authority to get some answers. But that would prove to be harder than he thought. Later that night, John Murphy, more local authorities and a large group of military men from the army traveled back to the area to continue the investigation. Only this time Murphy was not allowed past the tree line. This was only the beginning of the military's presence in Kecksburg that night. The Kecksburg Fire Department was turned into the base of operations for the U.S. Army for the duration of their investigation. This included the presence of guards, heavy vehicles, and armed soldiers flooding in the Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. So, what do you guys think so far? Swamp gases. <laughs>
3: from venus right? i was gonna say banshees i was gonna say it's the banshees again <laughs> uh, nothing. sounds nothing. like uh, your your average ufo crash or
0: sighting so far that's pretty much yeah i mean this is this is americana when it comes to ufo stories right thing crashes in the woods and then all of a sudden there's military men telling you you can't go in the woods. So let's move on then. It's, it, gets, it gets really good, guys. You ready? Ready. Firefighters from neighboring towns were called in to help assist the Kecksburg Fire Department in locating the object that burned through the sky that late afternoon. James Mays of Kecksburg Fire Department is believed to be the first person to lay eyes on the location of the object from a nearby hill off of Coon Lane. that that overlooked the forest below. From his point, he claimed to be able to see what looked like smoke and arcing blue light a short distance away. 18 years old James Romanski from nearby Lloydsville Fire Department was also at the scene when he got a call on his walkie that someone had found something. As he approached the area that was announced, he joined a growing group of firefighters that were all staring at a 10 to 15 foot long, 8 to 12 feet in diameter metallic acorn-shaped object that was partially buried in the ground. The area was a mess, and there was a clear path of broken trees and limbs and even a trench left as the object came to its current location. Romansky described the craft as being dark gold or bronze, had no wings, no doors, no windows, no obvious form of propulsion, and the object lacked any seams. The base of the object was encircled with what looked like hieroglyphs of some form. It was about 15 minutes later when a group of men showed up with the Geiger counters and told the firefighters to head out of the woods and that the scene would be secure and under the investigation by the U.S. Army and Air Force for now on. So Romansky and all of the other firefighters headed back to Kecksburg Fire Department, where they were surprised to find that the firehouse was now under the control of the same entity claiming to be the U.S. military that took control of the scene in the woods. James Romanski hung out outside of the firehouse for a little while with a few other firefighters before the group headed back to the fringe of the woods, where there were hundreds of onlookers, military personnel, and reporters. The highlight of the night was when a large army truck came out of the woods near the crowd with something large
2: on it and hauled it away. All right, guys. I have a theory already, but I don't know if I
3: should say what I'm thinking or if I should wait to see if you have more info on this, but I have developed a theory already.
1: I 100% know what this is. Do you? (laughs) Yes. Let's play the guessing game. What do you think it is? I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Mine starts with an N. So does mine. And then the second word is a B. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, we'll get into it, but the descriptions there. The hieroglyphs on the side, like,
2: it's just, there's no way this couldn't be that. We do
0: get into this. <laughs> All right, just hang tight. We'll do- Let's, let's hit fast forward. Let's go through the next section real quick. This could be a quick episode. <laughs> <laughs> Many people came forward in the following days, weeks, months, and years with their own stories of that night. And through these firsthand reports, a story was written that included threatening postures from men in military uniforms, strange blue lights in the woods, and a truck that was impossible to keep out of the public's eyes. 15-year-old Robert Blystone, remembers seeing a crowd of military men at the Kecksburg Fire Department that night. Linda Foshia remembers that the presence of police, firefighters, and members of the military seemed to be everywhere that night. She even claims to have seen a small convoy of military trucks with men in the back driving through Greensburg to get to Kecksburg. 19-year-old Larry Snyder and, and two other friends attempted to enter the woods off of Coon Road to investigate what all of the fuss was about. They were surprised when men dressed in army fatigues met them at the tree line and told them that the woods were off limits to the public. When Larry asked why, they told him that a meteor crashed into the woods and that their group was in charge of removing it safely for the public. Larry Snyder and his friend drove off to try to enter the woods in a different location, a decent distance away, but they were denied access at this point as well. After the second denial, Larry and his friends gave up for the night. Bill Weaver claims to have evaded the men guarding the perimeter of the woods that night. Well, mostly. He drove up Coon Road and snuck past the military men while they were talking with others from the small crowd of people gathered in that location. He walked up a hill in the woods that overlooked the trees below and noticed an area that was shining blue lights. Weaver then shined his portable spotlight on the area to get a better look. As Weaver noticed, men in white coveralls near the location of the blue lights He was spotted by a guard and told to leave before he was detained and his car confiscated. Bill would enter the woods again that night, this time from another location, and would actually make it to the object's crash site. He described seeing smoke or steam coming off of the object and a smell of burning sulfur. Weaver snuck out of the woods again without being spotted as he heard voices getting closer to the location. Robert Bittner, a firefighter from another town, approached the woods where a large 6x6 covered truck was being slowly driven into the forest, accompanied by a group of soldiers. As Bittner and his crew approached the tree line, they were stopped by men who told them that they were not needed and that they could head back to the Kecksburg Fire Department for more information. A man from Pittsburgh by the name of Jerry Betters drove out to Kecksburg that night to do his own amateur investigation of the mysterious flaming object being talked about all over the radio. As he approached the group gathering on Coon Road, he was told to turn around and that everything was under control. As he was heading back, he witnessed a large military truck with a white star painted on the side coming out of the woods from another location with something in the back, but he was unable to see exactly what it was due to a tarp covering the object. Most of these personal stories from civilians in the area were confirmed when a large green army truck was spotted by the masses being escorted through town by jeeps with red flashing lights. Something was in the bed of the truck, and everyone had their opinions as to what it was. But there was one thing that almost everyone agreed on, and that whatever it was, it was not a meteor. Any thoughts or opinions yet? We're 20 minutes in, you guys haven't said a word.
1: Well, I mean, obviously this thing wasn't a meteor, right? Unless there was... It was cracked open and aliens were crawling out of it. There wouldn't be this crazy military presence. Like, right. You That's know, what I
4: was thinking. I don't necessarily know how dangerous a meteor uh, meteorite could be, but I don't see there having to be that kind of a military presence for that at
3: all.
1: Unless it yeah. was like the meteor from like that movie Evolution, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was uh, definitely not a meteor. For multiple reasons, one of which I'll say, and you guys will think that I'm crazy, but space is fake. So, well, that's one of reason. course,
4: <laughs> of course,
3: definitely. <laughs> technology. hashtag technology. New T-shirt, hashtag New tea. Uh, It's definitely technology, and I am ready to just. I'm I'm like biting my tongue at what I want to say, but I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait.
0: Yeah, because I don't want to ruin the episode. This is gonna be one of those episodes where all the information is gonna. Re- be regurgitated in like thirty minutes, and then the rest of the episode is just gonna be us BSing and and, and bouncing information off of each other.
1: Well I mean, but that's how people learn, right? I guess. Yeah, that's that's fine, bro. You know, sometimes
3: that's how it goes. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> um in the nineteen nineties, Clifford Eastone claimed to have seen a document that told of an object from unknown origins that was removed from the woods in Kecksburg in December nineteen sixty five. Stone was an officer in the military at the time of the incident and claimed to have seen this top secret document during his service. Now, that's pretty much all I have on on Clifford E. Stone. Uh, I did try to look up more information on him, unfortunately couldn't find much about him. Uh, but this name popped up in a couple of my sources, so I said, "Screw it, let's uh, let's do it." Maybe Clifford E. Stone is somebody that I'm supposed to know who he is, uh, but I don't. So that's that. So we'll move on. On the night that the fireball crashed into the woods in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, a scent of burning sulfur filled the air around the Hayes' house. Both Lillian and her husband Don and their two sons were home when there was a knock on their door hours after the event took place. Men in both military uniforms and civilian clothes were on their doorstep asking to use their phone. Lillian claims that she was unable to hear most of the conversations that the men were having between themselves or on the house's phone, but she does claim that on one of the calls, a man clearly stated the word NASA. Later that evening, another group of men appeared at her house again, asking to use the phone. This time, they were wearing uniforms with NASA's insignia on it. Of course, she claimed as she was concerned as to what was actually happening, but she also said that what really upset her was that her phone bill was going to be incredibly high this month because of all the long distance phone calls being made from her house that night years later, one of her sons, John Hayes, told his side of the story from last night or from that night. John and his brother were upstairs in their room as they were as they would be out of the way of all the people coming in and out of their house that night through his window. John saw many men in military fatigues and later on in the evening a group of men in all-white coveralls walked into the woods by their house, followed closely by a large truck. An hour later, the truck came out of the woods with something as big as a Volkswagen Beetle in its bed, covered by a tarp. By the time the truck was fully out of the woods, there was a convoy of military jeeps with flashing red lights waiting to guide it away from his family's property. Soon, after the jeeps and the large truck left, the area everyone else that was inside their house also left. The following day, John and his brother went into the woods to see what they could find. As they approached the area where the truck went in and out of, they found the fence cut and peeled back to one side. As the boys got farther into the tree line, they began to see that there were tops of the trees broken off and some trees completely broken in half. Some places were burned and a sour smell filled the air. They followed the path of destruction to an area where a trench seemed to be dug into the ground. They got deeper as they followed it until it just stopped at a spot where whatever made it must have rested. The ground was burned and the boys watched as a person in a white shoe, suit was testing the area with what John found out later was a Geiger counter. The man yelled at the boys to go home and that if they stayed around they could get really sick from the radiation in this area. So the boys ran home and told their mother what they saw and what the man said about the radiation.
1: This should just be a, you know, with. So this is a pretty much a cookie cutter sort of situation, right? Something Mm -hmm. crashes. The government comes in. They smuggle it away. They block off the area. Whether or not there is radiation in that area. It would be a great way to deter people by saying, hey, if you come into this area, the radiation's going to get you. Um, It could be, could not be, right? It could just be a scare tactic. But this is like a cookie cutter, like every single time something like this happens, it's just... This is the exact same procedure. So this should let everyone know. I'm not saying to do anything illegal, but if you have a (laughs) piece of property and something falls out of the sky and slams into the ground on your property run over to it and take as many pictures as you can and then run away and then call the authorities and be like i don't know what happened and then leak those things right because no one will ever see or hear from it again (laughs) once once the uh the alphabet soup comes in to investigate i was gonna say that's (laughs) how how you get
2: suicided, dude
1: look i'm not saying to like go and break into a spot or like you know Go onto someone else's property or anything like that. I'm just saying that, like, you know, if this happens to you on your land, go check it out first. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if nothing else, you become a millionaire for a little bit, you know, of selling all those pictures before or you, you die. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> or the radiation gets you or the aliens. I don't know. <laughs> but just like, because this is, you know, everyone wants answers, but, you know, once various government name the organization gets a hold of something like this. It's all, you know, swept away. It's covered up by a tarp. You never hear about it again, at least, you know, other than rumors and hearsay. And it's just like, you know, the answers are never gonna come unless people are more willing to just like, you know, oh my gosh, something happened, instead of saying, let's call the police, I don't go check it out and then call the police,
0: you know?
2: Yeah. Maybe yeah. the aliens kill you. I don't know, but <laughs> You don't know if you don't try. That's right. Jeff Kenzar, anything? Go ahead, Kenzar. Just I got nothing. Morning.
3: I am. I'm actually looking something up as well because I want to make sure that when I
1: open my mouth I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he's he's gonna give legal advice. <laughs> he's like, well, as someone who's an amateur uh <laughs> lawyer <laughs> amateur lawyer.
0: Uh, Jeff, Jeff, as someone who knows lore.
1: that personal space as well as other spaces are fake. <laughs> okay. All the spaces are fake.
4: All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay,
0: moving on. Bill Buell Bush was was uh, from Mammoth, Pennsylvania. He was 40 years old that night and was working on his Chevy when he noticed a loud sizzling sound coming from overhead. When he looked up, he noticed that something was on fire as it flew over his property on a path from nearby Norvelt to Laurelville. Buellbush walked up the road and tried to get a better view of what the thing was. Then it took a hard turn towards Kecksburg before disappearing over the woods in that area. This left him curious because if it was just a meteor, it wouldn't have been able to turn in such a fashion or if at all. This led him to believe that whatever it was, it was being controlled or flown by someone. Bill then jumped into his car and took off for Coon Road to see if he could see the thing again from the top of the now famous hill. As he approached the crest of the hill, he saw what looked like smoke coming from the woods below and a bright blue arcing light flashing around the same area. Buellbush claimed it looked like a light given off by a welding torch. Bill was very familiar with these woods and began his descent down the other side of the hill to get a better look at whatever it was. He walked about a quarter of a mile, guided only by his flashlight, before he came upon the thing that had crashed into the woods. The object was about ten, twelve feet long, a bronze-like color, and was half-buried at the end of the trench it created as it crash-landed. Trees in the area were broken or had limbs snapped off of them and the smell of sulfur was extremely pungent the closer he got to the object. Soon, after arriving at the object, he heard someone approaching the area and snuck out of the forest and made it back to his car without being seen or confronted by anyone. When Bill got home, the first thing he did was tell his wife Betty what he saw. Betty was not amused and just continued to watch her TV so Bill grabbed his son and headed back out to Kecksburg to show him what he had seen. When he got to the location on Coon Road that he had previously entered the woods at, there was a growing crowd of people forming, and armed military men refusing to let anyone into the woods. So Bill and his son went back home. Bill Buell Bush is believed to be the first person on the scene of the crash, and the first person to lay eyes on this mysterious object that was traveling at incredible speeds throughout the sky and controlling its heading, all while being burned to a crisp before crash landing in the middle of a small town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, on December ninth, 1965. The Pennsylvania State Police released a statement, soon after claiming that nothing was found in the woods, and other news sources claimed that it was a meteor that fell from the sky. This obviously didn't sit well with some others and whispers of a government cover-up was being spread through the area. Then the newspaper headlines began to hit the market. George Dudding has an impressive list of these headlines in his book, The Kecksburg UFO Incident, which I used heavily for my research, by the way. December 10, 1965, the Tribune Review from Greensburg read, Army ropes-off area, unidentified flying object falls near Kecksburg. On the same day, the city edition of the same newspaper had a headline that read, Searchers Failed to Find Object." The December 16th version of the Tribune Review's headline read, Army Cordon's Off Area, Unidentified Flying Object Lands in Kecksburg, Search Goes Into the Night. The December 27th edition of the Cumberland Chronicle has a headline that read, Kecksburg Incident Fireball Was a Meteor. And on January 2nd, 1966, the Rockwood Review's headline read, Air Force declares meteor over Kecksburg.
2: Question: <clears throat>
3: Is there any official reports of this? Like, is there any like government
0: documentation about this, or is this? We're gonna get all to that galore? We'll okay. get to that. We'll get to that. I will hold off. Oh, this definitely my... happened. Whatever this was, roll well,
4: well there, Jeff.
3: <laughs> Well, I, I. Well, the reason I well, I guess I'll I'll just wait till you say those things before because i don't want to ruin what you might have in the presentation but i i found something else as well so
0: well i mean whether you say it or not i'm just gonna say it again
2: so nasa
3: Mm -hmm. uh talking about this you get into that
0: uh so i read a little bit about it but i don't think i included it on this so i'll just
3: tell you what i read was that Mm -hmm. nasa released a statement in 2005 reporting that experts had examined fragments from the area and determined they were from a Soviet satellite, but that the records of their findings were lost in
2: 1987.
3: Okay. NASA seems to have a big problem with losing stuff.
2: I... All right, slow down. (laughs) You (laughs) told me to say it. Jeff, shut your face. (laughs) Yeah, you said, Jeremy.
1: (laughs) Slow and man. I
2: did, I did. You're
1: right. See, look, all right, Bill had the right idea. Everyone be like Bill, but go in there with your camera on, on your phone. <laughs> Everyone has a cell phone in their pocket these days, or at least most people do. Get in there and just spray it down with pictures and videos, <laughs> and then run yeah. away and be like, "Oh, someone's coming!" You know,
0: nineteen sixty-five. She just whipped out a cell phone.
1: Well, obviously not then, but now, yeah, right, right? right? I know
0: what you're talking about. All coming right, you guys, ready like to move I'm, on? Like I'm the. Ready idiot. To move on. Are you ready to move on? <laughs> Let's talk about where it is now. The path that the now-famous truck took once it left the Kecksburg area was fairly easy for many people to piece together. Some sources claim that the truck went directly to the Lockbourne Air Force Base near Columbus, Ohio. Then, from Lockbourne, it was apparently witnessed by multiple sources entering onto Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, according to George Dudding. An unnamed man was working security detail that night and was in charge of guarding the craft during its stop at the Lockbourne Air Force Base. In the early 90s, two men who were only identified by the names of Myron and J.S. claimed to have seen the acorn-shaped object on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base when they were delivering a special order of bricks to the facility. The two men delivered multiple loads of bricks to this particular location on Wright-Patterson and during one of their deliveries, they noticed a large bronze acorn-shaped object sitting on the bed of a large truck. The next time, the men showed for another delivery. The object was removed from the truck, but the truck was still there. The men were curious as to what happened with the acorn-shaped object, so they went up to a window of the building that they had heard grinding coming from and saw the thing surrounded by scaffolding, and men attempting to cut it with grinders and plasma torches. As the men were getting back into their truck, they saw a man exit the building and asked him what that thing was. The man said that they didn't really know, and that these bricks were going to be used to build a room around that thing, in case the object was radioactive and opening it caused the radiation to seep out. Myron also went on record to say that by the object, there was a gurney with a sheet covering a body. On the side closest to him, there was an unhuman hand hanging out from under the sheet. As the men were talking to the guy who came outside, they were approached by security and told to leave immediately. Little, There's some cliche in there, huh? Okay, obviously, I believe that
1: he saw the thing, right? I believe that they delivered the bricks and stuff, and I'm glad you got into it. Because I was going to say, you know, the good thing about bricks is you can stack them on top of each other to conceal stuff. Um, but <laughs> adding the hand and then the gurney and the dead body, right? It's just sitting out there in the um, in the warehouse with them. They're just letting it stink up the place, right? After yeah, days right. of it sitting there. I'm very yeah, sure theatric. Yeah, that's that's like, the fluff,
4: like a movie right? scene.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I seen this account <laughs> pop up. Um, like I said, I got most of my research through George Dudding's book. Um. But there was a couple other sources that I use as well, which will all be in the sources section of, of this episode description. Where they had mentioned
2: this, and it's just. It reeks someone spitting BS.
0: Yeah, it smells like shit. It really does. <laughs>
2: it
1: smells like a <laughs> rotting corpse in a hangar bay. <laughs>
0: <It does. laughs> just Ugh. hanging
1: out there with them, <laughs> grinding away next to this corpse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: We're worried about the radiation, but this sheet is going to protect us. <laughs> right. Uh, such bullshit. But anyways. They're trying, to, I, I, they're trying
1: to cut into it, even though that obviously it, this body was ejected out of it somehow. But there's no way to, inside of it they have to cut into it. Yeah. There's yeah. the fluff that's added to the story to make it sound more oh, crazy. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> I had to add it just because I knew we would have a good time tearing this one apart. <laughs> Uh, Kid, Jeffrey, anything? I'm triggered. (laughs) Very well. All right.
5: I got nothing. (laughs) Okay.
0: Earlier, we briefly mentioned John Murphy, the reporter from WHJB in Greensburg that was supposedly the first reporter on the scene. The following few weeks after the event in Kecksburg were spent interviewing witnesses for John. During that time he prepared a document called The Object in the Woods that was supposed to be played a documentary sorry a documentary called The Object in the Woods that was supposed to be played on the air about a month and a half after the event but the day before the air date two men dressed in all black approached John and claimed to be authorities from the government the men went into John's office and when John came out he announced that he was going to be releasing an edited version of the documentary instead of the original Very soon after his announcement, John received many visits and phone calls from witnesses in his documentary saying that they were withdrawing their stories from his documentary because they did not want to get in trouble with the government. Another employee of the radio station that we briefly mentioned earlier, Linda Foshia, claimed that awkward men from the government came into the studio that same day and took took typewritten materials photographs, and recordings of their on-air conversations and interviews, and left. Linda was one of the few people who saw the first and original adaption of John's Murphy, John Murphy's Object in the Woods, and she claims that the one that was released for public consumption after the men's visit had nothing in common with the original, nor did the new one even mention an object found in the woods. Mabel Meza was another employee of the same radio station who was mentioned briefly earlier and she claims to have seen the photos that the men took shortly after Murphy had them developed and said that they were kind of dark but you can see that there was definitely a bell-shaped object lodged into the earth. John Murphy died in 1969, about four years after the incident in Kecksburg, by a hit and run while he was on vacation in California. His ex-wife, Bonnie Millslegle believed that this was a targeted attack on John because he knew too much about what had happened and had an issue with keeping quiet. She came forward about the inconsistencies in the investigation onto his death and a message that he had told her on a CB radio call after the crash. He told her that the authorities confiscated the film he had used to record the incident but there was still one left. Bonnie never knew where that film was and never saw it, but she believes that someone knew he had it and that someone may have gotten a little nervous that John would release it to the public. So what do you guys think about that?
1: He should have taken one for the team and released it to the public.
0: (laughs) So there was a lot now Everything that we've talked about so far, except for the dipshits who saw the body next to the, <laughs> the thing in, in Wright-Patterson. Yeah. Do I believe it was at Wright-Patterson? Yeah, probably. I mean, that's probably where they go, right? If, right. if it's in that that part of the country. I mean, that's the, the eastern area of 51, pretty much, right? It's just not as secretive. Um, everything else. I'm talking about from people with sightings of this thing to people seeing the truck come out to people uh trying to get in the woods the people seeing this happen to the reporter and all of the stuff getting taken with these people in black suits there are literally countless amount of of uh people who witnessed this i it, it's i only included a handful of them i included the ones From the actual uh, station that worked Mm -hmm. with the guy, not the people that were just happened to be in there because they were going to be on the radio that day or the people outside the radio station or whatever there. This happened like this dude got threatened, had his shit stolen and was told to shut up. And then there was also reports that this guy, John Murphy, had an issue with money. He was trying mm-hmm. to sell this this thing. He was trying to make money off of it. I, I mean he's a reporter, right? Right. Um he's try he was trying to, to sell this tape to the highest bidder. And uh people who witnessed the crash or the the hit and run say that the guy who went to or hit John and killed him in California purposely hit him and took off. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely some sketchy things here, and I do believe that this was an actual thing that happened uh, simply due to the amount of witnesses that witnessed. Yeah, I mean. Or these events.
2: Crickets. You're you're freezing oh. up on us. Yeah, you just got suicided. Um, <gasps> uh-oh.
0: Yeah, well, I gonna mean. Be, it's going to be clean whenever we edit it, so
2: we're good.
1: I'd like to say that these days it's less likely for that sort of stuff to happen, but I don't truly believe that, right It's just I think that if you, like unfortunately, I know I just said that you know if something crazy happens, you should go and take a bunch of pictures of it and stuff and then release it um but like if you see something crazy like that, you're probably you just you're already dead, it's just a matter of time, so you might as well just release all of that stuff to the public. So that everyone can see it. And then, you know, and then people will be more, you know, more sure of the reason why you were suicided versus, you know, oh, well, I had heard that he had something that, you know, they didn't want released. Now release all of it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter anyway. Don't get suicided in vain, basically. Like, make it worth your while. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, I I agree, man. I, I totally think that something happened. Right. Um. This isn't one of the situations where I usually take the stance of nothing happened and it's all woo and right, whatever. Right. Like I, I totally think that something happened. All these people definitely saw something, and then the like you were saying, the fact that the let's just call them the men in black because that's fun. The mm-hmm. men in black mm-hmm. are all over this. You know, like yeah, I'm something for sure happened. So, and I think we all know what it is. So I'm just, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. We have to wait. We have to wait. Yeah. I'm ready.
0: Are you ready? Kenzar? I'm ready. Okay. Well, let's keep okay. going. <laughs> Here goes. Waiting. Here's the part everyone's waiting for. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You guys going to all say it one more time before I move on. Hey, everybody. Bear with us while we take this quick break. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. All right. The information about what really happened was a little hazy at best at times. The first reports came out saying that there was an object that fell out of the sky and crashed into the woods in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. But soon after, the official reports stated that there was nothing found at the scene and that it was most likely a meteor that had burned completely up in our atmosphere then the military released their statement saying that there was a meteoroid that crashed into the Kecksburg woods and was never recovered. All of these different stories came out in less than a few weeks time and you can see why so many people were confused as to what the real story was especially those that witnessed the object burning through the sky at treetop level and changing directions at will. One very popular theory as to what really happened that day is that this fireball in the sky was the Cosmos-96 Soviet Union Venus space probe. On November 23, 1965, Cosmos-96 was launched from Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan, which at the time was leased to Russia. Its mission was to do a close flyby of the planet Venus and explore the Venetian landscape. But things went really bad at the launch, and the Cosmos ninety-six stuck in low was stuck in low Earth orbit until December ninth, nineteen sixty-five. The same day as the Keksberg incident, and just sixteen days later, when it crashed landed back to the Earth. There are a few inconsistent reports as to where Cosmos ninety-six crashed into the Earth. Most commonly. The word is that it crash-landed in Canada, and a few others claim that it was in Lake Erie. But soon, be- but some believe that this would have been a really good explanation as to what actually crashed in Kexberg. This makes a lot of sense in some way, as the Cosmos 96 probe did have the ability to change course in flight. This was a feature built into the probe in order to navigate the, Venet- the Venetian surface and atmosphere. The radiation that many claim was present at the site would have been from the buildup of radiation that exists on all items in low Earth orbit, and the quote-unquote acorn shape of the object was said to be a rough description of what the Cosmos 96 was shaped like. This would have had our military very active at the site of the crash. They would have wanted to get their hands on any Soviet technology in 1965, only 10 years after the start of the famous space race, between the, between Russia and the U.S., officially announced on August 2, 1955. Another thing to remember was that in 1962, there was a United Nations peace treaty signed that would have forced the U.S. to hand over the craft back to the Soviets if word were to get out that they recovered the Cosmos 96, hence why they would have been so secretive about the recovery efforts. But one thing that does not add up for this theory is that the most common story told about the Cosmos 96 Venus space probe crash landed in Canada at 3.30 a.m. on that day, and the Keigsberg object didn't crash into the forest until roughly 4.45 p.m. that afternoon. But of course, there is an argument about this as well. Some say that what landed in Canada was the rocket booster that was jettisoned by the probe upon re-entry into the atmosphere, and that the craft itself had crashed in Kexburg, But the theories don't stop here, as another popular opinion is that the craft that crashed into the woods in Kexburg, Pennsylvania was in fact a Nazi bell, known as Dieglock. To take a very quick look at the technology theorized to be a part of the Nazi bell program as a deeper dive would take an entire episode, if not longer, The Nazi bell was thought to be a piece of machinery in production by Nazi Germany during World War II. Purple colored radioactive fluid was thought to be used as a way to affect the fabric of space and time. This strange manned craft was theorized to be able to freeze time and allow specific parties to travel physical distances without traveling through time, as well as being used as a time travel device and flying device. How the craft would have ended up in Kecksburg in 1965 from 1940s Germany would have been a mistake in their calculations or technology that caused the craft to tear through space and time during a trial run and burn up over Ontario, Canada and seen from nine U.S. states before landing in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, in what the occupants would have perceived as only a few minutes of time. This may not be science fiction, as it was very well known that Nazi Germany was in fact very interested in this kind of technology and occult
2: practices. All right, boys, go ahead. Go ahead,
1: Jake. I'll let you start. All right. So that's kind of a reach, right? (laughs) That it traveled through space and time and all that sort of stuff. This was something that was brought up during the Randall sham UFO incident, right? Mm -hmm. That, that the location of that base, you know, from Germany, post-World War II, after we seized up all these scientists through Operation Paperclip to the United States, and then uh, our allies, um, the uh, England being one of them, snatched up a few of their own as well, that there could have been these recovered Nazi bells that they were testing out in uh, Rendlesham, so that way when there was uh, this UFO, UFO sighting and all these things happened, and everyone was all hush-hush about it, and then people were told to shut their mouths, um, that it was nothing and don't worry about it. Same exact thing. This could have been another captured you know, Nazi bell or a remake of it, trying to figure out how this thing works, how it operates. They get it up into the sky, and then something goes horribly wrong, and they just start spiraling towards the, towards the Earth, right? Just like a fireball, and it's crash-landing this thing. I don't think that it's as far as like, oh, they made it work and then they traveled forward in time and all that sort of stuff. I think that this was just a another, you know, the reason why people saw bell shapes was because that's the original design. And then as technology improves over the years, we see these, you know, house-sized computers getting smaller and smaller and smaller until they're fitting in our phones. And now they're in little RFID chips and all kinds of things. Everything's getting smaller, so why couldn't these UFOs or UAPs go from these big giant shapes and then flatten out, right? Now we have the TR-3B and all kinds of stuff because it doesn't have to be as big anymore, right? Everything's getting smaller because we're figuring out better ways to do it. So I think that this was just one of the first prototypes that the U.S. military is probably experimenting with, or one of the first, and something went horribly wrong. And, of course, they, they run in there right off the bat to snatch it up because, you know, in some ways I can say, um, you know, oh, how could the government think that it's going to fall into the wrong hands? But then, I, you know, I kind of get it. You know, how long was the uh, F-35 in production before they announced, hey, we have a new jet called the F-35, right? We have to do right. high-speed trials. We have to do weapons testing. We have to do all kinds of things to it. Um, I I don't know, 15 years? Right? How, how long was, were they making that thing? So I can see two sides of that. But I can also see if this, you know, Germany was so advanced, they had their V2 rocket program, they were just really paving the way. And then we stole their scientists. Why wouldn't the U.S. government try to exploit that, try to make their own versions of it? And, you know, of course things go wrong. And this was just one of those occurrences. Jeff. So I totally agree with
3: you, except I have a slightly different thought about this. Because space is fake, yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) not not exactly. But um, so a lot of people don't know this. I'm sure everybody here knows this, but somebody listening might not. The, the, The Soviets actually had their own program at the same time that we were doing Operation Paperclip. Okay. And so they took a bunch of Nazi scientists, too okay, to the USSR. So what I think is that the Soviets actually were building these Nazi bells, but now they're Soviet bells, right, Mm because they had all these scientists. So I don't think necessarily it had to have been a captured one because they have a bunch of the scientists. So I think that they built newer ones in in USSR, but the thing is is that the Nazi bell had what was reported as teleportation abilities as well not just time travel mm-hmm. so is it possible that the soviets were testing teleportation with their version of the bell and it just happened to teleport on the other side
0: of the earth so right? so real real quick mm-hmm. so when i was doing the research right and i, I i've looked into the nazi Bell quite a bit right but i the particular research that i was doing was uh in reaction to what George Dudding had in his book about the fluid and the 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 ability to stop time. So it uh from what I was reading, and again we're gonna have to do a bigger, deeper dive into the Nazi Bell because it's definitely something we're gonna have to break into now that we've done Rendelsham and Kecksberg, mm-hmm. right? We have to do it eventually. Um but apparently it wasn't necessarily so much as a uh teleporter As it was perceived as teleporting because it was stopping time and physically moving throughout the three dimensions without the effect of the fourth. So, just like in any fantasy movie where someone's able, what was the movie Click, right? With, Mm with, uh, I don't remember.
3: Adam Sandler. Yeah, Adam
0: Sandler. Thank you. Uh, where he paused it and he was able to move and everything and he can press play again, right? It was something similar to that where it, it was perceived as teleportation. But what was really happening was that it was literally stopping the fourth dimension time and moving throughout the first three dimensions without being affected by the fourth.
3: So that's interesting, but I think that that's a psyop to be honest with you. I think that in all of these secret programs, it will leak out information that is way more advanced than what the truth is of the Mm -hmm. situation so if they had the ability to stop time like literally stop time Mm -hmm. dude just imagine the possibilities right so of course they want to put that out to make Mm -hmm. everybody else think that they've got the ability to stop time like scare tactics bro right yeah you know so i think that it was teleporting right literally teleporting and not stopping time
0: and that that would be slightly less devastating. To your your psyche, and that was like the first thing that came to my mind too same thing it was like hmm. that most likely was not manipulating time due to the simple fact that that war, if they had that technology, that war would have ended completely fucking differently now, just teleporting right without you know where it's more or less manipulating the first three dimensions with the effect of the fourth right just flip flopping what I was saying. Um, that would be much more defendable, right? Not, it wouldn't still be very easily defendable, but imagine literally trying to defend something that was moving without the effects of time, right? This, and then flip it to something where, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm talking more modern technology and everything, but you can put movement sensors and stuff, right? And as soon as something popped up, boom, they're locked in. Um, mm. but either way, we'll have to dive into the the Nazi bell later on. Um, but I like do you that guys, theory. what's I that? like
1: that theory? It's like the the symbols on the side, like some some backwoods people. They're like there were some sort of hieroglyphs on the side. It's just Russian. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Russian so, around the outside of it. So, like some sort of hieroglyphs, you
0: know. So Kenzar, would you like to speak on this, since? Kenzar has been going live on Instagram lately, and we had a brief conversation about Kexburg with some of the fans. You're, you're, you're muted. muted.
2: <laughs> Sorry, guys. Good job, kids. Um, Sorry.
4: It's been a long day. Um yes, we had a listener join us on Instagram live. Uh he was from I can't remember where he said he was from.
0: But they use I'm the same alphabet. With this.
4: But yeah, they use the same alphabet out there, and he he was trying to explain their alphabet. Like, the letter B is actually the letter... What looks like the letter B is actually our letter V. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, then you've got all these extra strange-looking strange shapes that you're unfamiliar with. Of of course you're going to think it's pictographs or hieroglyphs or... Whatever, right? So it's very interesting. I actually had no idea how that alphabet worked. He gave me a little bit of insight.
3: Cyrillic alphabet.
0: You know, the first thing he asked me was, was there anybody that recognized any symbols? And I was like, as far as I know, no. And he goes, then it wasn't Russian. Because Mm -hmm. you, as an American, would have looked at it and recognized the letter B, right? It was V to them, but B to us. And we would have said there was a B on the side or a C because their alphabet is very, very similar to ours. Right. Uh, Cause that was my first, my first idea is actually, I took a whole section out of this because uh, I was like, I thought it was just some, some people from backwoods, Pennsylvania that saw Russian on the side and thought it was hieroglyphs, just like Jeff, <laughs> uh, Jake was saying. And, yeah. and then he said that and I was like, dude, Yes. <laughs> i was like now i have to rewrite that and i was like you know what instead i just deleted it because i knew it was going to come up in conversation um and i just want to give him a shout out uh forgive me brother i can't remember your name but he is the host I... of of the tracing owls and uh was it darwin's misfits right
4: i think his name was uh vuk v i think is what he said
0: Um. But he is, uh, oh, Darwin's Deviation. Sorry, not Darwin's Misfits. But <laughs> Tracing Owls and Darwin's Deviations podcast. Uh, he chats with us all the time on Instagram. I just want to give him a shout out as an official source for this show uh, because he was definitely able to lend some information that crossed off uh, Russian print on the side of the Kexberg Acorn. All right then. And if, if Chinese then. If I got your name then, wrong, dude. I don't know. If I, got,
4: <laughs> if I got your name wrong, dude, I'm sorry. I'm terrible with names. Tell, so. tell her
0: what it is, so that we can she we can make yeah, her apologize. So
4: correct myself and apologize in the most Canadian <laughs> way possible for you. And <laughs> you,
1: you, a bottle of syrup. <laughs>
4: exactly. Yes.
1: So basically, so, all right, Backwoods, Pennsylvania, 1965, it was Chinese. And they're like hieroglyphs. That's all I can remember.
3: So I got two things yeah, man. on this real quick. So, one, it it probably was symbols or hieroglyphs of some kind, just because, not to get into it too deep. But yes, like you said, the Nazis were into like a whole bunch of occult yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally believe. runes. Yeah, I personally believe that they put certain symbols i'm not gonna use the word hieroglyphs because symbols is probably more accurate Mm, they were putting symbols on the nazi bell for specific reasons to for energy reasons of some kind right to manipulate the uh dimensions and stuff right Mm. so i i think that if the ussr was building their own nazi bell with nazi scientists they would also be putting the same symbols that would conjure some sort of energy to make the thing work the second thing is you know, they always will try to mask an event with another event. So let's say, like Jeremy was talking about the rocket that they were launching, right? And everybody thinks it's the rocket that crashed. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the launching of that rocket could have just been a cover for them using the bell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the launching what happened, I believe it was six or nine years earlier.
1: Well, the recovery then
0: the recovery so yeah it came back down out of low earth orbit the same day as the Kicksburg incident
3: that's what i meant i I should have said the recovery not the launching but you get what i'm saying that they use one thing to cover for Mm -hmm. another thing right so and they would do that um when they were developing the nuclear bomb you know Mm -hmm. the manhattan project they would they would say it was one thing while they were testing nuclear bombs that way it would it would kind of cover it up and even if the information got out they could you know, mix the information to create some disinformation so that nobody would find out exactly what they were doing.
1: Right. Cool. Man, I'm not about to say that I believe that anyone currently can do time travel, but it makes a lot of dang
0: sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh I don't have too much left. You guys want to just uh kill? I got two more sections left.
1: Power on through.
0: All right it well i'm sure we'll touch back on this all during our final thoughts during hillary clinton's time as a democratic presidential candidate she attempted to have the files on this event made public by filing a FOIA request for those of you who aren't familiar the freedom of information act unfortunately government officials refused to release anything on the subject of the kexberg ufo some reports say that the files never existed, and some others claim that they were missing. The request was officially filed by Hillary's campaign manager, John Podesta, in June of 2016. It is Podesta who was quoted saying, Quote, I worked with her and filed a FOIA case on it. The files had disappeared, but it was clear there had been some investigation by the Air Force. Many people have asked, why was Hillary Clinton and John Podesta asking for the files on Kecksburg incident to be made public? Well, one common answer to this is that they did this in order to portray potential transparency, transparency as a candidate in the running for POTUS. This was a strong argument from her opponent in the election, Republican presidential candidate and eventual winner of the race, Donald Trump, who often pointed to the Democratic Party's recent history of poor transparency as a reason to vote red that year. One example of this is the famous Clinton emails, which used a non-secure and private server to run government affairs during her time as Secretary of State under, the president, under president Barack Obama. Ironically, FOIA requests for these emails have been blocked on multiple occasions. Speaking of her position as a Secretary of State, Another common belief for her request is that during her time in many high-ranking positions within government, she may have come across some potentially critical information regarding UFOs and their origins. She could have possibly believed that the public needs to know something that she either heard or saw, and that quote-unquote something may have been the true nature of the Kecksburg object. There have been a few instances in the past of Clinton and Conway pushing Conway. Where the hell did I? Oh, (laughs) Clinton and Podesta, sorry, uh, pushing for the release of information about UFOs and their true nature. In 2015, Clinton promised in an interview with Conway DeHilly's son while campaigning in New Hampshire that she will, quote, get to the bottom. Of what the government knows about UFOs and aliens. She also told the Conway Daily Sun reporter Damon Steer that she is under the belief that Earth or that the Earth has been visited by extraterrestrials and that if elected president, she would act- actively investigate the rumors surrounding Area 51 and other potential hiding places of alien crafts and bodies by way of a special built task force. So, this all leaves me with a few questions. One. Why do you think she may have requested this info to be made public? And two, do you think that there is any tie between her request then and the current events of files being, quote unquote, released and a new task force being created for the investigation into UAPs?
1: Uh, yeah. He was going crazy when you were reading that. I'm was like he? losing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I'm losing. I remember right now, so. not political, sir. Oh no 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 no! He was oh, all right. just no.
1: like arms and just like no 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 no. no.
0: <laughs> it's hilarious. Edge of
4: so so, his seat over there.
1: I wish I
3: had so, seen it. <laughs> all right, here's where we go a little bit deep, and people might think this is crazy, but it's not. Uh, John Podesta and Hillary Clinton. Now we could just not even. we We could speculate more so on Hillary Clinton, but John Podesta for sure is into all kinds of weird things like spirit cooking mm-hmm. and occult practices and things like that. And so I think that on one hand, they probably really wanted to know some stuff. Like they wanted to know personally for them, right? They wanted mm-hmm. to get some of the juice from this occult knowledge. Okay. On the other hand, I think that they were totally pushing this Alien agenda for Project Bluebeam that I talk about all the freaking time. So they want to get as much information out and put it out into the public. We're like, look, UFOs, aliens. Uh, you know, this was, you know, what I mean. Like, so I think it was both. They were looking for occult information for themselves, and they were also trying to push the alien narrative for us.
1: I agree with Jeff, with the addition of um, during the presidential run, the reason or the information with the emails was the talk right Mm -hmm. uh donald trump kept saying things like um you know you'll be in jail when i'm president like all kinds of stuff because we're going to release all this information so i agree with what jeff's saying but i also want to say that it was more than likely an addition as well of like oh here's something that people want to know about um please get the spotlight off of me in but any I don't way think I they're... possibly can. Let's talk about the UFOs since that's hot right now.
3: Yeah, I was going to say it's not what the people wanted to hear. It's what they wanted the people to hear. Right. Right. Like people generally don't care about the Kecksburg incident, especially <gasps> however long it's been afterwards. Calm down, Jeremy. <laughs> but you know what I'm I saying? Care. Like there's plenty of other things that you could have done a FOIA request for to show transparency and they chose that specific thing mm-hmm. for the reason that I stated, I think.
1: Now, the reason why I think that it was also a um a deflection is because she could have put in a FOIA request for it and not told anybody about it you know it could have been their thing we just want to know information about it right um so yeah i i agree i think that it's was totally a uh get the public focused on something specific for a specific reason and also a deflection tactic which, like you know what? Nothing came from either of those two things. So, I mean, <laughs> you
5: know, nothing at yet. all. <laughs> yet,
1: you know? Well, yet, yet you, we could say yet for the next 20 years. You know, yet, 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 yet. yet. Still, nothing has come
0: from either oh, of those two according things. According so. to sources. How oh. long
4: have we been saying we're going to get the alien info next year?
0: Yeah, but, right. Yeah, but, Same
4: idea. According- <laughs> it's all the yet. <laughs> yep. I know yet.
0: the host of another <laughs> podcast. Shadow Band podcast. I know the host, and apparently, according to him, we are on the verge of Project Bluebeam.
4: Yeah, that guy sounds crazy.
3: (laughs) I don't even think
5: we're on the verge.
3: (laughs) I I think we're in the middle of it, man. You know, like I think it's happening like in real time. It's just not like one singular event that will happen one day. I think it's something that's taking place over time because that's how you really seed the population with an idea. You can't just Make everybody believe it, you have to do it constantly, right? Mm. Yeah, so that's what I think. But I have a question: Do we know when Werner von Braun, like what his stint was at NASA, Did, like what was the end date for Werner von Braun? I know he died in seventy seven.
1: Uh, oh, he's still there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know why. So where because, where was that heading?
3: Okay, so like I was saying earlier, how NASA apparently had the information on whatever this object was but they lost the data mm-hmm. in 1987 i think i said right so when they obviously when this event happened Werner von Braun was like the head of NASA right mm-hmm. so and he was a Nazi scientist he was one that we got from po- uh, project paperclip so i'm wondering if you know the bell falls right this i'm gonna call it the soviet bell because i think it was the soviet version soviet bell falls he gets the information he's like oh snap my buddies that the soviets took he retired building... in 72 he retired okay so he was definitely there right yeah, so yeah he's probably so thinking 70 to like, 72 he's thinking my my old nazi scientist buddies are building this thing that we were working on in nazi germany they're building it for the soviets now so like he probably had to just shut it down get rid of the data you know, and just hush it all down. I I bet
2: you he was, his hands were probably all over this. Wouldn't doubt
0: it. Wouldn't doubt it. All right. I got one more uh, section before we get into final thoughts. Y'all ready? Mm -hmm. All right. This is just simple stuff. Nothing really added here. Uh, There are a plethora of different sources for more information on the story including a documentary on the Discovery Channel titled Nazi UFO Conspiracy in 2008. It was covered by the UFO Hunters TV show on the History Channel in 2009. The History Channel also covered it in an episode of Ancient Aliens in 2011, and other videos, movies, and documentaries from the Science Channel, UFO TV, the Sci-Fi Channel, and Unsolved Mysteries with many, many, Many more that I have not mentioned. Articles have popped up in well-known magazines and journals, such as the Sky and Telescope and the Journal of Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, Canada. Countless websites, blogs, and podcasts can be found on the subject, each with their own theories as to what really happened that day. Kecksburg itself, now joking, jokingly known as the quote-unquote Roswell of Pennsylvania, holds a festival called the Kecksburg Old Fashioned and UFO Festival Days. At the end of July, in remembrance of that day, and the crowds continue to grow to record numbers every year. The town has even gone as far as renaming Coon Road. It is now called Meteor Road. The town even hosts the Kecksburg UFO Restaurant, and the local fire department runs the UFO store, and is easily recognizable due to the large acorn-shaped craft on the property. At the store, you can find shirts, mugs, hats, stickers, books, and a decent amount of other things and can all be found at the Volunteer Fire Department website at www.kexbergvfd.com. VFD is Volunteer Fire Department. And that is it. That is That wraps up my presentation on the Kicksburg UFO incident. Let's get into final thoughts. I'm surprised, Jeremy. I'm
1: surprised that you were so conservative with the writing on this one. For the listeners, it was only ten pages. Are you? Are you? Cop- are you following my? Th- you are. Oh, yeah. It, it wasn't. <laughs> wasn't fifty pages. It was ten. Only one part this time. Everybody,
3: <laughs>
0: hey, look at Jeremy go. He's doing things. Good job, Jeremy. I'm no, proud of I- you, bud. Honestly, this is. I- I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> this is it's all BS. This is the. <laughs> you know other than Roswell this is the american ufo story it's as simple as that i mean this is your stereotypical cookie cutter cut dry ufo story where it, it crash lands all of a sudden the military shows up and people all around the area see something this is what all those stories are based off of is the kexburg ufo incident that's why it's so important to ufology and shows just like the infinite rabbit hole Um, this is a staple in our Americana. I love it. I think that this is as traditional as it gets. And, you know, I love the simple things. And that's why it's not a four part series. Uh, this is a very, very. Simple, simple story. Um, I could have went on with for days with witness testimony. but. I cut it out and just kind of kept the key characters and, you know, didn't really include as much as I really could have, because I could have included another 40, 50 pages of just witnesses. And then people, I mean, we would have just been hearing the same thing because every witness seemed to have had the same thing, except for those those two dipshits that were in uh uh, right. It's just beyond me. Um, how anybody takes that seriously, but, Um, my final thoughts are something happened for sure, 100%. Something came out of the sky that day, landed in Kicksburg. Um, what it was, uh, geez, I also believe that this could be a Nazi bell. Um, although there is some, uh, some other evidence that kind of points to other things as in like a multi-dimensional craft which could be a nazi bell because we obviously nobody knows exactly what the technology was behind it the nazi bell could have been a multi-dimensional craft uh as we had stated Mm. earlier but um there are some very strange things on this uh i've seen pictures of what the hieroglyphs quote-unquote symbols should have looked like or were said to have looked like, and it doesn't look like anything I've ever seen. I don't know. I'm not very familiar with symbolism and, and everything. Uh, I know Jeff might have a little bit more to say into that, but um, I all I know is that, yes, something happened. Yes, something was taken out of the woods. There was tons of people that saw it, and apparently all the files are
2: misplaced. I think it's a great story. Next. Hands are go
4: I think it's a convenient story,
2: do you sure. yeah
4: quite it's it's quite convenient that everybody was just there taking care of radiation and and that that Clinton was trying to get this information put out and in, into the public. It's all just very convenient. Do I think we have an alien on our hands? maybe not. Like an alien craft on our hands? Maybe not. I think it's, like you guys said, Nazi Bell teleporting from here to there. But I think it's a very convenient story. Hmm. It's a good story, though.
0: All right. Next. Fight, gentlemen.
1: On Yeah. To give uh, well, credit to hey, JS uh, and this other hey, guy. ha, uh, <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> to give credit to <laughs> JS and this other guy, seeing that, otherworldly hand fall out from underneath the sheet they would have looked pretty otherworldly because if there was people which i'm sure there were but inside of that thing when it slammed into the earth they would have looked like splattered uh i don't know meatloaf (laughs) maybe so yeah it would have certainly looked (laughs) otherworldly like i've never seen a a ground beef monster before like because honestly like this thing hitting the ground like that, being half buried in, inside of its own crater. I mean, that sounds like the people that were inside of it, like, I mean, it could have been drones. Who knows how long this technology has been available, right? But the people that were inside of it, if there were people inside of it, didn't look very much like people anymore. Um. So, yeah, obviously, I think that that whole story, that whole, or I think that the people probably saw it it probably delivered bricks to this area and stuff. This military base, I mean, shoot, half our buildings in my on in NOB Norfolk were made of brick, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but yep. I think that that's likely right. But then all this extra fluff was added to it. Um, but I, I do like the cut and dry nature of the story, uh, that it was very cookie cutter like, right? This is the chain of events that tend to happen with these things, as far as our, is what is reported. Um, I agree with Kenzar that it does sound very convenient, but I think that people might manipulate something like that to make it convenient for them. Right? Like, I don't know when Hillary Clinton was born, um, but I think that, you know, this was just something that could be convenient for her to try to get the information of for whatever purpose she had for it, whether it was nefarious or not right um but yeah i i like it i like that there was very consistent reporting with the uh with the people that said you know this is what i saw um and then there was even a level of you know unfortunate um you know other than natural death that occurred around it because that does seem to occur with a lot of things um there's a huge rumor going around right now about some recent events that have happened that you know one of the victims of those events unfortunately um may have been the second person to discover you know a hydrogen powered car and the second person to have met their demise in an other than natural way um and so it's just like these sorts of things happen and happen and happen and happen and happen and when you get an event like this and then there's one of those tied into it it's hard to just dismiss it and say oh well you know that was just a weird coincidence because it's like it makes sense with the way that things roll with these sorts of events right whether it's a new invention that may undermine a a company that has its foothold in in some country or it's a you know, sighting of a crazy event or something like that. There seems to always be these specific parts of it. There's some kind of murderous activity that happens in it. There's very consistent reporting. And then there's the alphabet soup that just come in there and then just snatch it all up. And you see, hear about the men in black and all that stuff. I don't think that has anything to do with it because there's a lot of people that wear black suits with white shirts. Right. But you know, I think that, but it's, An easy way to say that, you know, some government agency is trying to cover something up. The military gets involved. You know, everyone says, oh, it was a meteorite or, oh, it was nothing is what the government puts out. But we saw this thing being towed away in this, you know, under this (laughs) massive uh, sheet or this uh, tarp or whatever it was. That's a whole lot of nothing on the back of that truck, right? (laughs) So, yeah, it's um, a very interesting circumstance.
0: Steve saw a VW bug that was all broken down in the woods, and he just wanted to take it home as a, um, yeah uh, for memory's sake.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's his Weekend Warrior project. Yeah. Yeah, so it was just so um, really, uh, it hit all those points for me to not dismiss this whole thing as just, you know, nonsense, but to say that there was something there. Now, is that something UFOs and aliens and all that stuff? I don't think so. Not at all, actually. Um, and I really don't ever give that sort of stuff like any sort of um you know uh, uh, time to rattle around in my thoughts i'm just like well that's ridiculous but what do we have here you know things that we have here on this planet that government agencies are currently working on um you know with all of the stuff that jeff's told us all the different like the anti-gravity spacecraft type stuff all these patents that the u.s government has how long have those things been known about you know why would someone Make a patent or a government agency make a patent for something that was impossible, right? <laughs> it's just like if no one can ever do it, then why would you ever make a get a patent for it, right? So it's just like there's a lot more to this, and it leaves a lot of questions to be answered. And I, I can't wait for us to really dig hardcore into this Nazi Bell because I think that a lot of those questions will find an answer at least, or maybe lead to more. You know, it it'd be it'll be cool.
3: Yeah, man. I mean, look, I already said it. I'm pretty sure that this was a Soviet Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean it could have been US Bell either way. It was a project paperclip or the Soviet counterpart part to that program. It was those scientists building the same technology that they were already building. That's the whole reason that us in the Soviet Union took the scientists was so that they could help them build all of the crazy shit that they were building, right? Mm-hmm. Rockets, Nazi Bell, whatever whatever they were doing. So that's what I think this was. I definitely think that it was there and then people saw it. I have no questions about that. There's enough, you know, seems like there's enough witnesses and enough of all the things. But this was a good story because, like Jake said, it hits all the points. It's got everything. It's got the men in black. It's got the unidentified sighting, right? It's got the project paper clip. It's got the the documents are missing. It's got mm. the it's just got it all. It's got the occult symbols. In it, you know, it's literally all the things. This would, I'm sure there probably is a movie, but if
0: there's not a movie, it would be a good movie. It's a really, really old one.
3: (laughs) Somebody needs to make a new one. Michael Bay, tons of explosions.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Moreno, give it to him.
1: Brian Moreno, that's it. Moreno, shout out to Brian Moreno. I'm
3: going to hit him up and tell him, yo, you need to make this movie, dude.
0: (laughs) Nice. A reenactment. <laughs> Maybe we could be in it, dude, oh, we could be in it.
4: Oh, that would yeah. be cool.
0: I want to be the
1: guy that gets suicided. I want to John Murphy. You as as get yeah. off here. <laughs> Jake's already in
0: California. it works.
1: I want to be John Podesta. John Podesta.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be Hillary. I
3: okay. want to find
0: out about all this occult stuff for
1: reasons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, um all right, so that's it, guys. everyone good. Everything off your chest. Good to go. Yeah. All right. Well, for those of you listening into the Infinite Rabbit Hole and the Paranormal Network, let us know what you think. Head on over to Facebook and search for the Infinite Rabbit Hole and click on the one with the black logo. That would be our group. And uh, start a conversation with us. Check out the the link posted for this episode and put your comments in there. Let us know what do you think the Kexburg UFO was or watch for the next time that Miss uh, Kenzar there Mrs Kenzar sorry Mrs Kenzar is on Instagram live uh she's done it go twice follow
4: the uh, go follow the TikTok go follow the TikTok cuz I want to go live on the TikToks too
0: yes hmm. so that that's that's been a question too we had somebody ask us uh today or last night if mm-hmm. The TikTok with our logo on it is us, or if it's like a, a mock, yes, that's us. <laughs> I think it's just Infinite RH Pod, right? Is isn't that what it is? Yes, Infinite yeah. RH Pod on TikTok. Follow us. Once we get enough followers on there, I think it's a thousand followers, we're gonna start going live on TikTok. Um, yeah. While you're doing that, check out Jeffrey. He goes live every day, and even misses recordings for you know by going live.
3: I didn't miss a recording. I was late to a meeting.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, it was a
3: meeting.
4: didn't even know what platform we were using.
3: I <laughs> did <even know. laughs> <laughs> I was debating people on TikTok Live, and
0: then I get, I get hyped. And yeah, it was in. pretty I'm heated. I was
4: there. I'll vouch I'll, I'll for that one. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, check us out. Hit us up on all of our social medias, and uh, see you next time in the next path of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.